welcome from Sleepless in Dubai. We are being filmed here in 25 Hours Hotel and my name is Julie Marlin. I'm the founder of Nurture to Sleep and I am very much everything that there is about sleep and of course a mother of three incredible daughters. I'd like now to hand over to my co-host Laura. Hello, yes, my name is Laura Buckwell. I'm an international event MC, a broadcast journalist and mother of two. And we are incredibly lucky to have with us today the, the brilliant and wonderful mountaineer, Nyla Kiani. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, we'd like to get to know you a little bit more. I haven't given you a proper introduction and I thought we'd leave that to you. So I know that your, bank, your background sort of started in banking, didn't it? So tell us a little bit about sort of how that sort of industry started for you and how that sort of led all the way through to your incredible mountaineering. So I actually worked in engineering uh, industry before moving into banking. Uh, so for the last uh, seven, seven and a half years, I worked in banking and I left banking very recently to, uh, to I'm on a short career break uh, to uh, complete these 14 highest uh, mountains in the world. I never planned to be a climber. I just, um, I mean, I went to CK2 mountain a few years ago, five years ago to be precise. And uh, I wanted to experience mountaineering. So I uh, picked up a peak that was 8,000 meter peak. I didn't aim, my aim was not to reach the summit. I just wanted to experience climbing. And uh, I ended up reaching the top, top. And I think that was really the beginning of my mountaineering career. And the rest is history, I suppose, yeah. So how many peaks have you done and how many have you got to go? So when I started climbing, like I said, it was just to experience it. And then uh, that was two years ago. Uh, last year, I climbed K2, which is one of the uh, most difficult mountains in the world. Uh, straight after K2, I climbed another peak called Gashabrum 1. Uh, and I did not, even last year, I didn't plan to, to climb all 14 highest peaks. So I will just explain what 8,000 meter peaks Thank are. You. So there are 14 peaks in, in the world which are above 8,000 meter. And, and then the significance of these peaks uh, is that uh, 8,000 meter, the uh, area above 8,000 meter is called death zone because the oxygen is so low uh, above the area that we cannot survive there for long. So climbing uh, these peaks uh, is considered to be one of the biggest mountaineering achievements. Uh, so I only plan to climb all 14 uh, very quickly uh, this year, uh, just before my Everest expedition. So I, you know, from meeting you this morning, I had in my mind about, because of looking at how much strength that you need, you know, how much the human spirit requires. And, and when I saw you this morning, it just reminded me of how there is so much strength in your gentleness. You know, and we were talking before about what an absolute inspiration you are. And just to put into context, so you talk about climbing Everest and reaching the highest peak, which is something like eight, how many meters again? Uh, 8,800. Yeah. 8,800. Mm -hmm. The Burj Khalifa is 825 meters. Wow. So just putting it into some kind of context. So for you to achieve that, how does that work in terms of building your stamina and building your strength? What, what, 
how do you prepare yourself? Uh, so in Dubai, I can focus on my strength and endurance uh, training. Uh, we have uh, lots of hiking spots in Fujairah, Ras Al Khaimah, we can do that. Uh, I cannot simulate the cold or lack of oxygen here. Um, but I think, I believe personally that uh, mentally you have to be stronger uh, to climb these peaks. Um, physically, I am strong, but I, I believe it's the mental strength that takes me to the top. And it's just my upbringing. I came from a very conservative fam family. I had a very tough childhood. I'm a mother of two uh, kids. Um, so I think all of that. And my girls give me the strength, you know, when I'm, in, when I'm going through a difficult situation, I think of them. I think all of that. Um, uh, and again, again, you know, talking about that mental strength, and your background. So your background, you are only the second person, second woman from Pakistan who has managed to achieve what you've achieved. And again, we need context because if we're looking at the population of Pakistan, that is somewhere between 241 to million people. And you, there's only two people that have achieved, which is you. So again, that strength that you have been able to find, we were also talking about it collectively and perhaps the role of being a mother. So having gone through, you know, gone through carrying a child and gone through labor, and that also gives you an added strength because it, it brings you into a very different resilient place, you know, when you are climbing. So again, we were really very much about putting it into context. And if we're looking at the population of Pakistan, where you have something like 241 to 250 million people. You are the second to climb Everest and yet the first to climb all eight. So for that achievement alone, again, we have to really celebrate to give all the women that are coming behind you, like your two daughters and all of the women, the females, to, to show them what they can do. Because culturally, where again has that come from from you? Uh, so uh, growing up, I wasn't free to do whatever I wanted to do. Uh, so it was not easy. Uh, so I studied in, studied in England. So when I was at university, I tried everything that I could have uh, done. Um, and I couldn't share it with my family, with my extended uh, family members or relatives. I was scared. What will they think? Um, but I think right now where I'm at, I, I think my story uh, inspires women because I get a lot of messages from uh, Pakistani women especially, but women all around the world, women in West too, which I didn't expect. Um, so, so yeah, so, so the message I want to share now is that, you know, we're strong, women can do whatever they want to, um, doesn't matter what stage of life they're going through, but it's the, I think what, uh, what encouraged me was this, the difficult childhood, the um, the pressure from society that we cannot do uh, certain activities after getting married or after having kids. So I'm just pushing women in, in Pakistan or anywhere in the world that please don't think about what people will say or, or don't, um, uh, because of the pressure from society, don't stop following your dreams. You really are an incredible inspiration, seriously. Um, let's talk about uh, the preparation and what you need to do in order to climb these these peaks and also because the the altitude is so different How does that affect your sleep patterns then as well? 
so we don't sleep well in the mountain. Uh, the lack of oxygen affects uh, the sleep. Uh, and especially during the summit push when we're on higher camps, meaning when we're, you know, above 5,000 meter, uh, it's, it's not easy because we don't eat well, we cannot sleep well because of lack of oxygen, but we still have to push our bodies and mind to keep going forward. But again, that just shows you the magnitude of, of the human body and the human spirit, where A, you're not eating well, B, you're not sleeping well, and we know in order for restoration and repair, we need to sleep well. And I know, again, with the mountains, it's, you know, climb high, sleep low. And again, if we go back and look at, you know, the, the, um, the lack of oxygen. So on average, our heart beats around 100 and somewhere between 60 to 100 beats per minute, 120 on average. Now, when you are in this death zone that you talked about, just for the benefit of our viewers uh, and listeners, your heartbeat can get up to 160 and that's where it leak, uh, it can leak into the cells and cause the brain to swell so that's why we have got this death zone so it is about your breathing and so you're carrying oxygen pres presumably at that point so we start using ox i mean different people use oxygen at different points i have used oxygen between 7000 meters and 7400 meters Right. Uh, but even getting to that point, because we uh, we usually uh, reach 7,000 towards the end of our climbing journey. Uh, so so we maybe spend uh, three or four days uh, climbing okay. above. Okay. So what are the sleep patterns like? Because I can imagine, because you're so exhausted after a day climbing, and the altitude and the oxygen levels are quite low, mm -hmm. surely that would mean you'd actually be out, you know, you'd be out for the night. So, so we sometimes we climb during the night. So we, we leave uh, 7, 8 p.m., climb throughout the night and rest during the day. So, I mean, uh, the whole body clock is actually yeah. messed up uh, on the mountain. Um, I mean, if we're lucky, we get four-hour sleep some uh, days, but that too, in, uh, not, not like uh, interrupted sleep. Uh, so that's higher camps. Uh, at base camp, we get, I mean, if we're resting... Uh, we we have more time in our tents, but then again, the sleep's in interrupted. So we keep waking up again, because even at base camp, which is around 5,000, between 4,200 mm. to 5,000 meters, uh, we, it, the oxygen level is still quite low. Uh, but again, all about that resilience. And if we, can, if we can encourage that with our children, you know, we talk about that resilience is not born, resilience is learned. So you learn your resilience from your upbringing. But even like, for example, you were a boxer. And, you know, again, when I was reading that about you, I was thinking that must have been quite, again, culturally quite difficult for you as a female to do boxing. So would you encourage your daughters to be doing any of these sports? At Mirabelle, passion fuels global connections. For more than 30 years, our international team has launched campaigns across continents through targeted marketing strategies, captivating promotions, and innovative media solutions tailored to brands ranging from fashion to travel and tourism to health and well-being, and so much more. Let our cross-cultural experience engage your audiences. Discover the Mirabelle difference at mirabelle.co.uk. I mean, I'm sure I know what the answer is, but... Absolutely. Um, so I, I think I, what we want to do with our daughters is introduce them to 
um, a few different types of sports and then uh, whatever they're interested in, we'll let them pursue that. Uh, so, so I don't want my daughters to think that there are certain things that they cannot do. They will be free to do whatever they want to do. Because I went through a lot, a very restrictive uh, childhood and, and, and that sort of formed up. So to, when I, uh, we were, when we, me and my husband were planning kids, I never thought actually, uh, my husband told me to go and see Ketu Mountain because he, he, both of us said, I will not be able to go and do these adventurous activities after having kids. That's because, you know, w women in general, especially in our culture, we don't do such activities after having kids. And then I was thinking, why not? Mm -hmm. I mean, what's the reason? What's the logic behind it? Of course, we want to look after our kids. We want to make sure they're looked after, but there's no other. Uh, I know. And again, you know, when I was preparing to speak with you today and thinking about questions I wanted to ask you, and of course, one of the questions would be, how do you prepare your children, you know, as a mother for you leaving on these expeditions? And I feel it's so much more weighted because you are a mother as opposed to if it was a, a male yeah. No, I it's think always things, like that though, isn't yeah. it? Yes. I mean, it's just still the stigma of today, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I believe it's not just our culture, even in the yeah. Western world, because mm -hmm. I had some comments from my uh, 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 colleagues from Europe, which were very similar to the comments I'd get from uh, yeah. Pakistani females, for example. So, so not all, I do still get uh, uh, comments online that what kind of mother is she? She leaves kids behind. And... Um, and and, and I feel guilty myself too sometimes. I feel like, I mean, why am I doing this? Um, but I'm doing, I chose to do this for a few reasons. Uh, one is that they're very young. I think, I'm not sure if it's true, but I think when they're older, they'll forget about it. If It'll be more harder for me to leave uh, seven or 10 years old. Uh, yeah. So they, they get busy with uh, their friends or uh, school or toys. So it's for, I think it's easier for me to leave them now. And also, um, yeah, I want to do them. I, I want to climb all these peaks really quick and then, you know, focus on the family later on. Um, but I do feel guilty. I think this uh, mom guilt will stay for, for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, yeah. You're always going to get mom guilt for whatever we do, right? Yeah, I was with a parent yesterday and they have a very young baby. And you can see the pressure from them. You know, they're both working full time, in paid full time work, I should say, but they're both, and they feel that they're not providing enough for the child. And I just said, but Jordan, you've got 17 and a half years with this little person. You don't have to cram everything in. And so again, with you, as long as when we are with our children and we are as emotionally present, and that can only need only be 15 minutes. It's not that we have to spend days and hours and, it's just that when we are with our children, you know, when you're back and that you are emotionally present, that's what's going to make the biggest difference. But equally, we know the most powerful tool to any parent is role modeling. And you are such a phenomenal role model to your two daughters that you can do whatever you set out to do. My only concern, your restrictive childhood, that's actually what pushed you to be the person that you are. And when our children haven't got that, present day children, will they have that fight in them? I don't know. So I, I think the um, different types of high achievers, either trauma or difficult upbringing can yeah. push you to be a high achiever or if you're, uh, if, if uh, uh, 
children have a very loving upbringing, support, and all the encouragement that uh, they need. Uh, the, the support that, for example, I didn't have or the encouragement I didn't have. But if they have that, that can also make them uh, turn into a high achiever. Uh, I don't know what sort of re resilience they'll have in future, but I'm sh I, I believe that they will they, they can still be high achievers because of the support. But then again, they've got you as a role model. So I think that's sort of more important than anything, you know, whether it's upbringing yeah. or, I mean, as long as you have a role model to sort of look up to, I think that inspires, can, you know, inspire anyone, not just your children. So, so, so one of my reasons to uh, climb all these mountains was to inspire my own daughters because I didn't want them to think that anything is, uh, anything is impossible. <laughs> yes, I yes. I didn't want my children to think that anything is impossible. So we haven't really touched too much on sleep. So what do you have to do to prepare any of these expeditions? Is sleep an integral part of that process? It uh, definitely is, because if you sleep well, then during the day you can you know, focus on the training, focus on everything else uh, that you need to do. Uh, I, unfortunately, in past didn't sleep very well, and I'd, I'd be looking for some tips from you. <laughs> um, uh, but I, you know, as I said, on the mountains, we uh, it's even worse. Uh, so when I come back from expedition, I try to get um, to make sure that I'm well rested, and I, I, um, yeah, I try to to stay in bed for longer, whether or not I have the quality sleep that I need. I think that's uh, so quality sleep is really important. But just in terms of your preparation before you go. So are you naturally, do you feel you're naturally a good sleeper or you're, you struggle with sleep? I really don't want to label anyone as a bad sleeper because that we're not. We just haven't learned how to do it properly. But were you a good sleeper? I was a good sleeper. I could sleep anytime, anywhere, mm -hmm. even if my mom used to say, even if there's a drum, somebody's playing a drum next to you, you will not wake up. But I think since having kids, I. Um, I, I just need to change my habits and be more disciplined with, with uh, sleep so I get better quality sleep. I mean, what I'm just hearing throughout the whole of this interview is the contradiction, contradiction of life. You know, you have to be so disciplined to climb this mountain. The discipline within you must be so vast. And yet we talk about not yeah. being disciplined enough to get some For, sleep. Yeah. yeah. This is this is everyday living, isn't it? Yeah. So I think we we sometimes like so, some of the skills that we use in one of our, you know, let's say career, we don't necessarily use our skills. So the mindset I had on mountains, I wasn't really applying in it in all areas of my life. So I didn't apply it in my career, for example. Um so yeah, so this discipline I just need to learn to apply in all areas, and I think sleep is one of them. I, You've always advised, and you said that NASA has come out with the perfect nap time, which is 36 minutes, is that 26. right? 26, all right, 26. there you go. Which you can explain a little more in a minute. Um, but maybe that could be quite useful for your expeditions, or is there time to yeah. nap on the mountain, or does that work? Uh, when we're resting on base camp, we can, I mean, we we have nothing yeah. to do, and sometimes so we nap. Yeah, so we nap. But on higher camps, uh, it's not easy because either it's too uh, cold, windy, or it's too warm to sleep in the tent. Uh, so we don't, we can, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I need to do more research to see if there are any other tips, but everybody struggles on higher camps. Yes, um, there is. I mean, again, if we're looking at naps, a nap can be helpful, particularly if you know that your night is going to be interrupted. So it enables to keep the cortisol levels down, 
and it's as little as nine minutes okay. um, in terms of our Olympian athletes. The studies have shown us that with a nine minute nap, that can boost their physical output and make a difference to their training, for example. So that you absolutely can achieve when yes. you're in the mountain, you know, when you're climbing and in the camp. But as you were saying, the, the, according to NASA, the perfect nap is 26 minutes. Now, the reason being is that you get enough of the different phases within one sleep cycle. Now, one sleep cycle is 90 minutes. Mm. So obviously we're not going to get a full sleep cycle. And if, if you could, during your day, if you were able to think, you know, you've got a really tough six hours ahead of you, and if you could get an hour and a half, that would really set you up and make you even stronger, both physically and mentally, because then you would get mm. our rapid eye movement, and that's all that emotional processing. So that will really help you with your strength. And so final question, tell us or describe your perfect night's sleep. What is that scenario? So for me, per perfect night's sleep would be uh, average seven hours uninterrupted. And do you prepare to do anything like that? You know, do you have herbal teas maybe, or do you have like a process to sort of get those fixed seven hours? Honestly, uh, <laughs> nothing, but I'm really, I'm very inspired because I think one of the things I struggled with was uh, night sleep. Uh, and I, I was in discipline in this area and I didn't do enough research, but it is very crucial as an athlete, as an, for anybody, but uh, yeah. especially because I, my training and my um, activity on the mountains is very extreme and uh, sleep is very important. So it was a very good reminder for me to do something about it. And it's such an important reminder because of the better you sleep, the less possibility of an injury. And in order to keep you as safe as we possibly can, <laughs> you need to get some sleep and that will help with your body in every single way. But just, you know, in preparation, because I know you're going very soon, aren't you, off to another expedition. Yes. But in these few days, take some magnesium, magnesium three um, at night, one hour before bedtime, because again, it relaxes the central nervous system and that's going to help you sleep better. Do look at something such as chamomile tea. You know, these are things that you can implement and your children can have too. So we want you to role model in every way possible, <laughs> not just being this incredible woman, but also this incredible sleeper too. So that's just to say thank you so much and remind ourselves that if there is anything that you want to achieve, a good night's sleep is all that you need to do. And thank you from Sleepless in Dubai. <laughs>